All right, welcome into episode 43 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast. Luke Lipinski joined by Jamie Eisner, who once again is on the other side of the studio. And he is back. Craig Morgan has returned. Guess who's back? Do we have that music? Can we play that? I, I believe that's copyrighted. Uh, okay. We can play like one second. Like, welcome back, Cotter. Wow, I just dated myself, didn't I? I'm pretty sure Luke was making an Eminem reference, yeah. but, you know. But, you know, you can if you listen to Eminem's music, he got a lot of his early Which Craig is an avid listener of Eminem's music, by the way. From, You'd be surprised. From Welcome Back, Cotter. Um, yeah, so it is episode 43, and, I, and you know what? This is a momentous day for all of us. First of all, episode 43, do we decide is that the Chris Gratton podcast, it's the uh, Darcy Wakaluk podcast? Cliff Ronning. Yeah. could have gone with any Cliff of them. Cliff Ronning. It's, a little it's bit momentous because I'm back, right? Is that why? It's momentous. No, that's from, not where you were going. For a lot of reasons. Yes, of course. I meant that it's because Craig's back. Uh, also, we're starting our team previews series today. It's never too early to start. And actually, the way this works out, we're going to do we're gonna do regular news and notes and all that stuff for the first half of the show. But then we're going to do three teams uh, that we preview in the second half of the show. Today it'll be Chicago, Montreal, and New Jersey. We're going to have a guest on each of these weeks for the next 10 weeks. And then at the end of 10 weeks, it's basically the start of the season. That's going to take us through the World Cup. Craig's got us set up already for the next 10 weeks. So why don't you read off some of the names of, of people that are going to be joining us? Yeah, I'm pretty excited, actually. Uh, to be honest, I didn't, you know, in the middle of the summer, you expect that people will be on vacation. So you're probably going to get a fair amount of no's or no replies. And They pretty, all want to talk hockey. Pretty much everybody got back to me and said, sure, I'll come on. So we've got a star-studded cast of beat writers. And before I give you the names, just just a note on my my belief in beat writers. You know, look, I know national guys report a lot of the news because agents like to talk to them, executives like to talk to them. But these are the guys and women with that are the boots on the ground, really, for these teams. These are the people who are the most versed on these teams, provide an invaluable service. So really excited to have a bunch of these people on. We're going to kick it off today by talking to Chris Hine, who is the Chicago Tribune's beat writer for the Blackhawks. And then we're going to have some really impressive names. We've got Seth Rorabaugh talking about the Penguins from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We've got John Rosen, who I think most of you know on Twitter as LA Kings Insider. Um, we've got Miami Herald beat writer George Richards talking about the Panthers. Minneapolis Star Tribune beat writer Mike Rousseau talking about the Wild. Uh, we've got a whole lot of other names. I probably shouldn't run through all these names now. We'll, we'll give you just a tease there with some of those names and, and get to more of them down the road. But it's really worth a listen because they provide incredible insights as I'm sure Chris will today. Yeah, I mean that that's that's going to be the format. We're going to we're going to look at three teams each week. One of those teams we're going to be talking to their beat writer each week. And, and to Craig's point, you know, national national writers or TV personalities or radio personalities are great. And you know, in the future we may have them on to, to discuss different topics around the league. But for the purposes of this, where we want to get in depth on each and every team, there is nobody better really to have on than the the guy or girl that is following that team around home and away all season long in some cases, for years and years with these teams. So, yeah, I would expect good uh, insight from not only Chris today, but but at least, it sounds like, at least one guest for each of the next 10 weeks. So that'll be exciting. Uh, Jamie, how are you doing over there? Doing well. <laughs> Sitting over here, I'm, the only, I'm out. I'm the only one without a headset right now. I'm yeah. just kind of chilling in the, the back with all the computers and knobs and buttons and whatnot, just making sure everything runs smoothly. Yeah, so I'm the rock that keeps this, this podcast going. It's basically what I'm trying to say. As Craig asked before the show started, can you hear us, even though you're in the exact same room as us, because you don't have headphones on? <laughs> All right, we got some news to get into first here. Uh, a lot of players signing right before the uh, the show today, uh, as if to give us some extra material. Let's um, let's start with I, I would guess probably the the biggest name on this list would be Peter Mrazek uh, signing with Detroit, because if he doesn't sign with them, they have Jimmy Howard as their one and only goalie. 
And as we've seen in the past, that really doesn't work for Detroit. So Mrazek signs two years, $8 million, and they just got Danny DeKaiser signed yesterday for $14 billion. Um, <laughs> they're basically set for, for this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, the, the Detroit Red Wings <laughs> playoff run. <laughs> I know this is close to your heart, Jamie, so go ahead. Yeah, I'll let you run with the Red Wings. I'd like the Mrazek deal, I think. Obviously, he's a, he's a player that they have high hopes for in the future, especially now with Jimmy Howard's play in recent seasons being inconsistent, I think is a nice, word, a nice way to put it. Probably the nicest way you're going to put it. Yeah, yeah. It really is the nicest way I'm going to put it. But, again, it makes sense. They, they want to see what they have in Mrazek. At some point after these two years, they're going to have to, if everything works out well for, for Mrazek, which I'm sure is what they hope is happening, they're going to have to pony up a lot in a couple of years. But... And they've got more than $9 million tied up in their goalies right now. Yeah, because yeah, uh, them in Dallas. And, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> that was the comparison that's, that's I was going for. Yeah. Not fair lot. right now because Rosick played well, but, but yeah. you don't want it to become that situation. right? Yeah, it's a lot of money locked up in goaltenders. But you, what was the alternative? You can't, you can't let Mrazek walk. That's a, but uh, on the DeKaiser deal, boy, that's a lot of money. Boy, doesn't that just speak to how important it has it is to, to have defensemen in this league right now in the market? I mean, again— if you're out there and, and you are six, seven, eight years old, randomly listening to this podcast, and you want to play hockey in the NHL someday, become a defenseman, specifically if you're right-handed. And yes. parents, force your kids to play hockey and make them play defense, too, because that's the quickest path to the NHL. Yeah, I think you're right about all those factors. But when I look at this deal, I, they, they just overpaid for Danny DeKaiser. I, I don't think there are many people out there who would argue the opposite, aside from the Red Wings management staff. And Danny DeKaiser. Yes. Uh, $5 million a year through 2022, so he's their longest-term uh, defenseman at this point. It's kind of like, who was the basketball player? Was it Tyler Johnson who said he threw up when he, when he realized how much money he was so, going to yeah. make? I just pictured Danny DeKaiser like, wait, really? They're giving me $5 million a year through 2022? Uh, they had to. I mean, they didn't have to give him that much, but they had to lock up a defenseman. I wonder what their plan would have been if they signed Steven Stamkos. No goalie, no defense. Because they couldn't afford that contract with what they have remaining now. No. And what, what, what was the plan? It's, it's a great question. Besides really spending is. a lot of money to also not make the playoffs. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. You're uh, not a fan of Franz Nielsen? Not, not exactly. I, I, li- I, like, I, li- I like those guys. I just don't think. I, I, the Red Wings are caught in this weird position. And I hate – if you're a sports fan that's a fan of one of these teams that will be in this position – it's the worst spot to be in, where you're just kind of okay. You're, you're on the edge of playoff contention. Maybe you make a wild card spot, but you're not a Cups contender. But you're also not able to be poor enough to get a high draft pick or to sell off star players for prospects and start a rebuild. Plus, they have that expectation. I mean, they've made the playoffs every year since, what, 1989, 1990? I mean, so, so locally— is that hurting them, though? Yeah. It is is the pressure point. to keep the streak alive over becoming more important than the pressure to make the team long-term successful? That's a fair question, and it had better not be because you can't, you can't think in those terms. It's either are we going to compete for a cup or are we starting a rebuild to make sure that we can compete for a cup down the road? You can't worry about streaks like that. They're, they're largely meaningless. Look, they've already done it for 25 straight years, so that's impressive in and of itself, but... At some point, you have to look to the future and say, are we going to do something more than simply make the playoffs? Well, and maybe it's not even so much the, the actual streak itself, but just the simple expectations in Detroit that you're going to be a playoff team. And so 
you know, I'll make the first cross-sport reference before Jamie can, but, like, the Patriots, you know, when they have to rebuild, they just rebuild on the fly, and they still win 10, 11, 12 games every year. Detroit's essentially trying to do that in hockey, but it's, it's harder in, in this salary cap era. But I, do I think, you think the Red Wings, fan, Red Wings fans are satisfied with where they are right now? No. I'm not, I'm, I don't think that they're like, oh, yeah, we made the playoffs again, great. I, I don't think that's where they're at. I don't think that's the mindset. So I don't think you can play to that. But it's probably hard to say, hey, guess what? The entire city is rebuilding, and now the hockey team is too. I guess my example for a cross-sport reference would be the Yankees right now. You have okay. a team that has a winning tradition that makes the playoffs constantly. That's a better example. That has actually. aging veterans that are either hurt or about to leave the team or just underperforming. And none of them going to Russia, though, but that's a different story. Oh, well, he's not a Detroit Red Wing anymore. But A-Rod's not going to Russia? I, I don't think so. Okay. Maybe. but And I look at that team, and I, and I think but what the Yankees are – we expect to do after they roll the Chapman trade, we expect there's going to be more trades down the line, is saying, okay, we know this team needs to get younger. We know we're not going to be a World Series contender. We need to make that decision now. And I think for the most part, now, if you listen to WFAN, sometimes uh, they don't agree, but for the most part, I think the fan base understands that you're making a move to help win in the future, and this team isn't good enough now. And I think, Detroit, I think Detroit's fan base would do the same thing if they fully committed to it. Yeah. Because right now you are just floating in the middle, and, and mm-hmm. you know as we go through some of these team previews, we're going to find a few teams like this that are, that aren't bottoming out, but they're not they're not on the way up either. And so Detroit is probably better off than some of the teams. Like Vancouver instantly comes to mind, and Vancouver basically is bottoming out without admitting it. Whereas Detroit is really yeah. w- without knowing it. Yeah, I yeah, <laughs> maybe that's it. Detroit. It wouldn't shock me if Detroit made the playoffs this year, but I, I'm kind of with you guys at this point. I'm not picking them too. They're they're trying. They are. Vancouver's just is completely ignorant to what their team actually is. <laughs> Detroit's trying to win. It just it seems like they're just not good enough, and maybe trying to win just to get in is not the best course of action for that team going forward. In, in terms of if they had signed Stamkos, obviously they don't sign Nielsen or Vanek, but even that is not going to free up enough money. So that, that is actually a very good question. This is not the D, uh, Detroit preview podcast, though, so we'll get back to the Red Wings at a later date. Some of these other guys that, uh, that signed, Matt Carl with Nashville, because obviously the Predators need even more defense. Uh, at all times, he gets one year seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. Carl Yarncrock also with Nashville. This one stood out as Jamie pointed out in the uh, the pre-show prep that we actually do do kind of an odd contract for him six years. Yeah, six years, twelve million. It's yeah. for a player. It's like a it's like an NHL sixteen contract. You have a good <laughs> young player that you just say, oh, can lock him up for forever at two million. It's a very weird deal. I don't remember seeing deals like this. No, it's, it is strange. Either you're, you're willing to pay him more, like 4 or $5 million because he's that good, or you're paying him $2 million because you're not sure what you have yet. And if that's the case, you're not locking him up through the end that's of the decade. That's a deal for a player to sign, too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's kind of saying, uh, I'm just going to take what I can get, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be better than it's a $2 million very, a year player. It's not very common. I don't foresee it anytime soon. So. <laughs> like, like when it's six years from now, I'm yeah. going to not be more than a $2 million a year player? Maybe seven years from now, I'll step my game up. But for the next six, I'd feel comfortable just locked in at two. Again, you never know how much, you know, what's going on financially. But it reminds me a little bit of the, another cross-board reference, Jose Altuve deal, except with a player that's not quite as good, where it just feels like they're settling. Yeah, yeah. I guess what you're trying to say is Cali Yarncroc is basically the Jose Altuve of, of hockey. That's what I'm hearing. Okay, That's, that's a, an analogy you're not going to find on any other podcast, I'm quite certain. Um, Ever. Mike Hoffman with Ottawa, he re-ups. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of their better young players who, I don't know if it's just because he has kind of a boring name or what, but he doesn't get talked about nearly as much as some of the other good young players around the National Hockey League. Uh, Braden Shen back with Philadelphia. And to bring it local, Luke Shen... Over the weekend, in, in keeping with tradition, while Craig was still driving across the country, so that you know, there's always breaking news when he's not quite at home. 
Uh, Luke Shen signs with the Coyotes. For what this deal is, I like this deal for the Coyotes because you're not risking anything. It's it's you know it was completely different when Toronto took him with the fifth pick in the draft. If you remember that, was it 2008? Uh, when there was there was a collection of young defensemen at the top of that draft, and it was Drew Doughty, Zach Bogosian, uh, Alex Pietrangelo, and Luke Shen, and it was kind of everybody's anybody's guess in, as to what order they would go in. Toronto took Shen with the fifth overall pick. Uh, there's pressure that comes with that. There's expectations. They needed him to be a top pairing defenseman. That's not what the Coyotes need from him. They just need him to be solid, and they're barely paying him anything. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. There's there's virtually no risk for the Coyotes here. It's two years. You've got an AAV of one point two five million, I believe. So, you know, you, when you look at what he's probably going to provide them, he, he's a right shot. He's going to probably play on your bottom pairing with potential upside. Maybe he can move up if he can find his game. Now, there are some questions about his skating ability that may not be able to be solved. It, Especially in today's NHL, that's probably a liability. That's but the biggest question. If you can put him on your third pairing, you're probably okay with that. This also provides you insurance in the event that Michael Stone's not ready by the time the season starts. And, of course, he's still heading for an arbitration hearing on August 4th. And the reality of the situation is, as we've talked a million times, there is no defensive depth that's NHL close in the Coyotes organization. They have to have veteran backup plans for injury, for poor performance, and I know you know we talked about Luke Shen being available, and, and I kind of just shrugged, and I still kind of shrug. But at that price, like Craig said, you're not. What's the risk? There's there's there no risk. You're not going to find a player. Risk. You're not you know you're not going to find a player better than Luke Shen for that price. And look, he was drafted too high at number five. We know that now. But at the same time, he did something right before he got to the NHL to to have that level of expectation placed upon him, and so. You know, to Craig's point, you put him on the bottom pairing, you've got a right-handed, stay-at-home defenseman. What if he does find a little more potential? And he even said this in his conference call, you know, I'm looking forward to playing somewhere where I can just focus on hockey and not a bunch of outside noise. He's played in Toronto and Philadelphia for the majority of his career, so there's a lot of outside noise there. Maybe he does find his game a little bit. He becomes a second-pairing guy. Like you said, Craig, Connor Murphy's not signed yet. Michael Stone is, is very much a question mark for the start of the year. So Shen just gives you options, and... Worst case, worst case, the the foot speed that he lacks uh, is maybe a bigger deal now than it was in two thousand eight, and, and and you know then you've lost basically nothing. Yeah, and it, going back to something that Jamie said too about not having prospects that are NHL ready, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Coyote system because we all know what they did at the draft and, and in other moves to really shore up their blue line. I mean, I, I loved what they did at the draft, and then in, in some of these other moves, they've really flooded a weakness with numbers yeah so if you hit on a couple of these guys down the road you're in great shape and right now you've got the basis of a pretty solid blue line after you know after adding Goligoski as a free agent now if they go out and make a trade still for another right-handed defenseman a top four guy wow this blue line is looking fantastic and then your prospects are looking at the very real possibility of not being able to crack this roster for a while because there's so much talent here. They've really done a good job of setting themselves up for the future on the blue line. And like I said, if they can make that one more move, that marquee move, they've, they've just remade their entire defensive core in one season, which would be incredible. Yeah, they, they've played to their, you know, their, their two strengths heading into this offseason were that in, the, in, in terms of their farm system, they're absolutely loaded up front. You can make a case if they're not the best prospect pool up front, maybe Toronto has passed them because they got Austin Matthews on top of what they already have. But either way, the Coyotes are top one, two, or three in that regard. 
So they play to that strength, and they, they know they can go out there and just draft a ton of young defensemen. Like you said, flood the, the prospect pool with defensemen, make that trade for Anthony D'Angelo, so he's got some upside. You get uh, Chikrin as well. Kyle so, Wood. Yeah, Kyle Wood also. And, and basically, after Clayton Keller, all they did was draft defensemen. I'll talk to him someday, Jamie. I really want <laughs> one day. <laughs> so, that will be a momentous day for the podcast. It could happen that, today. I'm it, told it could what? happen today. I'll get him on the show. Um, no, don't do that. And, and John Chico, when, when they talked <laughs> about the signing, <laughs> made the, he said that there was going to be a plan in place to better optimize Luke Shen. Now, we don't know what that's going to be yet, but maybe, again, maybe they have a plan in place. To, again, you're looking at him as a third-pairing defenseman. You don't, you don't need him to be a world beater. They really have a lot of faith in Jim Playfair's ability to work with him. They, uh, John Chico even cited uh, – Jimmy Playfair's work with Robin Regeer up in Calgary as an example of, you know, similar player, I guess they think, in, in terms of skill set. They think they can bring him along. Regeer really liked working with Playfair. So, we'll, again, we'll have to wait and see. You, you always hear those kinds of things when a team signs a player. It's always positives. We'll, we'll see if it pans out. But, again, so little risk that it was worth taking. Well, And that's the other half of playing to your strengths. You knew you had a heavy prospect pull up front, so you flood it with young defensemen at the draft. But then also, you know, at the top of your blue line at the NHL level, you've got Oliver Ekman Larson and Alex Goligoski, however you pair guys up. But that's a pretty nice top two players they may not play together but top two players that if you start to look around the league there's a lot of teams we're going to talk about new jersey today they don't even have a full defense signed yet so to have that luxury then you can take these 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 flyers on guys as long as you're not overpaying them and they're not with luke shen and again you look at the teams he's played the majority of his career with toronto and philadelphia they're not exactly known for having great defenses over the last few years other than shane gossespierre coming up this past season for philadelphia so maybe uh, Luke Shen is in the best position he's been in to succeed at the NHL level. We'll find out. And again, the Coyotes can always, whether they do it now, whether they do it midseason, whether they do it next offseason, they can always find that top pair of right-handed defensemen. And as Craig said, that would really solidify the Coyotes' blue line as arguably one of the best in the league, depending on who they find to fill that slot. Yeah, I and mean, that would put them in a great spot. And that's, that's one way to, to win games in the Western Conference when you have young uh, talent developing up front. Now, speaking of young talent, developing up front Craig what can you uh this this nearly became a a crisis situation this morning when Craig texted me and Jamie and said I might not be able to pick up coffee on the way in because I'm I'm working on a Tobias Reader story (laughs) yeah it was tragic almost that's when it really hit home the crisis clearly was the coffee I I think you all picked up on that yes and the coffee's here so now we can laugh about it what, uh, what can you tell us about the fact that, you know, because, again, the Coyotes have some RFAs and some key RFAs in Michael Stone, Connor Murphy, and Tobias Reeder. They had a ton of RFAs coming into this offseason that they wanted to resign. They've gotten them all back right now except those three, but it sounds like Murphy and Stone, it's just kind of a formality they're going to be back. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, with, with Connor Murphy's agent and, and with the Coyotes, they both said that those those talks continue to progress. They're, they're positive. They're confident it's going to get done. Michael Stone, of course, goes to arbitration, so... You wait and see how that plays out. Maybe they reach a deal before August 4th, which is his hearing date. Uh, John Chica told me that they continue to talk. They've been talking quite a bit, so maybe a deal will be struck before then. But with Tobias Reeder, I've spoken with his agent, Darren Ferris, and you know he told me two weeks ago that Reeder was seriously considering offers to play in the KHL in Russia because, as he put it, we're nowhere near where we need to be. He said, at this point, I see no common ground. Not much has changed there, uh, but when, when you look inside of this, it's really interesting to see how we got here. You, Toby Reeder was actually represented by another agent until March. Uh, he was with Octagon Sports, Mike Liute, who was a teammate of Dave Tippett's in, in Arford. 
and uh, Rob Hooper was the other guy that represented him. But Liu told me in, in an email that they were really they were working toward a deal when Don Maloney was still here, and then Toby abruptly changed agents. You might get a sense of why he changed agents when you see what Darren Ferris believes his client is worth. He, on the record, told me that he believes Toronto's Desim Kadri is is a comparable for him. Kadri makes uh, an average of four point five million a year. I had someone tell me that. They actually came in asking even more than that per year. Maybe that's come down a little bit now, but when you look at that as a comparable, to be honest, I, I just don't get it. When you when you look at Toby Reader's production versus Kadri's and his age and his experience, there are a lot of factors there. You can say, yeah, he impacts the game in a lot of ways. He's got some nice analytics if you want to look deep into it, but I just don't see the comparable there. So it sounds like the big problem here is Toby Reader's agent is just asking for far more that his client is worth. Yeah, it's it, Kadri is, is is a difficult comparison to make for a few reasons. Obviously, he's another one of those guys that was drafted high by Toronto, seventh overall in 2009, so the expectations far exceeded what he has produced. But at the end of the day, he's a guy that hovers around 20 goals each of the last four years, uh, you know, 45 points last year, 50 points a couple years ago. He's more of an offensive weapon, and they still think he's uh, trending He's a up center, now. too, so he impacts the center, game more yeah. than go. We all love Reader and the, and the game he plays, and I know the Coyotes do too. I mean, because he is able to impact the game on both ends of the ice. It was just a couple training camps ago when we were hearing Dave Tippett rave about him, and a lot of people were like, yeah, we've heard his name, but what does he really do? The reason Dave Tippett was raving about him is because he does the things you need to do in today's NHL. He's got the speed too, and specifically to thrive in a team coached by Dave Tippett. And so the Coyotes... Maybe not. I'd have to look at every single team situation, but they're definitely one of the top teams in terms of would fit Tobias Reader's skill set. It's a situation where he's going to thrive more so than if he just randomly ends up in, I don't know, Carolina or something. Um, So it makes a lot of sense for them to have him and for him to play here. But that's not realistic money to ask for right now. No, he has stuff to prove it. He, you know, he also mentioned Jamie McGinn's contract, and even that, to me, I, I don't think that's a fair comparison when you talk about a guy who's produced more consistently in, in McGinn's 27 years old versus 23. That's how it works in the NHL. You get you get advanced in age for a number of market factors. You get more money at that age. When I, you know, when, if you guys saw it yesterday, Vladislav Domestikov signed with Tampa for two years, yeah. just under four million. To me, that's a comparable. If you look at his production, it's it's almost identical to Toby's. He's also 23, also played in his second NHL season. That's what I look at now. You know, I've been I've been told I believe that the Coyotes are actually offering a little more than that to Toby Reader. So it sounds like they're in the right area. And again, it's it it's a matter of whether his agent decides and, and whether Toby decides. Okay, I you know I'd rather chase the money in the KHL or if I'm I'm going to come back and. And recognize this is my market value in the NHL. That would be such a shame. Nemestikov's a great comparison, you're right, because you know, when I hear those numbers, I would think for a couple of reasons, maybe I'd offer Reader a little bit more, but you're saying that's what the Coyotes are probably doing. I think Nemestikov maybe doesn't impact the game quite as much as Reader does on both ends right. of the ice, and also may have been willing to take a little bit less because Tampa's challenging for a cup this year, and they still need to fit uh, Nikita Kucherov under the cap here. He's surrounded point. by more talent, too, yeah. so you can make that argument as an agent, but but again, if the Coyotes are in fact offering a bit more than Nemestikov, then it sounds like they're in the ballpark. It would be a shame for for Reader to to leave and go play in the KHL because he, I, I do think he is poised to make even more of an impact uh, at the NHL level. And you know, 
he's somebody that Edmonton gave up on, and now he's in Arizona, and in a lot of ways he's thriving. He's not putting up 30 goals a season or anything, but that's not necessarily his game. And at the end of the day, you do have to realize, generally speaking, I know everybody talks about analytics and, and how you have to do these these different things at different ends of the ice uh, to, to succeed in the NHL, but to get paid, you do ha- you have to have stats to be able to point. You to. have to score to get yep. the big payday. I mean, it's, it's just it's just how it works. And again, the hardest thing to do in the sport is to put the puck in the back of the net. Yeah, right. up, analytics are like a supplement when you're talking about negotiations. But the, yeah, the the key thing is production. Yeah, and, and again, Tobias Reeder is is a, is a great player. He touches a lot of different aspects of the game, but ultimately, at the moment. He's a middle six, two-way winger. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that's what middle six, two-way wingers are going to get paid right now. And, you know, the Kadri comparison, one, the stats don't back that up. The age doesn't back that up. The responsibilities don't back that up. It's really a, a comparable that makes no sense at all. I mean, there's really no, there's almost nothing that compares the two of them other than they're hockey players. Yeah, and the qualifier here is, look, there's, there's always posturing in these situations. So yeah. if his agent takes this hard line stance and actually gets Toby a little more money than maybe he would have gotten, hey, hey more, he did his job. To him. He did his job. But, we'll, again, we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. Toby, of course, suffered that knee injury in the World Championships, but he is still slated to uh, play for Team Europe in the World Cup of Hockey coming up in Toronto in, in mid-September. So. And, and be a big part of what the Coyotes are trying to do next year, assuming everything can get done. It's not like he doesn't have value, but I think Jamie, whether he did it on purpose or not, stumbled on the, the simplest way to explain this. <laughs> Look, I get no credit? His price is no, I don't want to give you credit. None. Um, the simple fact is it's not like Tobias Reeder is going to hit the open market in some mat- – first of all, he can't. But even if he could, it's not like some other teams can be like, all right, here's $5 million a year. Like that's, that's just not, that's not going to happen. And so at the end of the day, that's uh, – at least not now. Maybe he can do something over the next two years. Just sign one of those prove-it contracts and prove yourself for the, uh, the future if you want to hit the open market in a couple of years. Uh, we're going to switch over now. We're going we're gonna to preview some of these teams. We're going to be joined by Chris Hine of the Chicago Tribune. If you want to find him on Twitter – it's at Christopher Hine, H-I-N-E. He's going to join us right now uh, to talk about the outlook of the Chicago Blackhawks. After that, we're going to talk about Montreal and New Jersey and kick off this preview series. You're not going to hear Jamie in this interview because he doesn't have a headset, and you do need you have to have a headset to be able to talk to the uh, person that's in on the uh, the phone. Well, more importantly, you need the headset to be able to listen to the person that's on the phone. That's true. Maybe I could talk to him. I just wouldn't be able to respond. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, here is, uh, here's Chris Hine. We're joined now by Chris Hine of the Chicago Tribune to preview the upcoming 2016-2017 Chicago Blackhawks season, a team that, of course, is very close to uh, to Craig Morgenthart. So, Craig, why don't you start us off here? <laughs> well, let, let's keep that out of the podcast. We, we won't talk about my obsession too much. But, Chris, first off, before we even get to that, I understand you're heading to Rio soon. Uh, when does that happen, and, and what are the plans when you're down there? Yeah, um, I head down there on Monday, uh, late night flight, uh, 11-hour flight into Brazil, plus a connector, so it should be a great travel day. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to entail just kind of covering the Olympics. I'm not sure exactly what sports I'm doing yet, um, but they want us to write more about the, the culture and the atmosphere down there, I think, in, in addition to some of the events, so going to be a busy uh, 19, 20 days while I'm down now. We're going to get much sleep, and I don't think there's going to be much downtime for me to check out the beaches or anything like that. Well, you might want to stay away from the beaches based on what's been washing up there lately. Uh, what it, do you, have you have you done the Olympics before? Have you covered this before? No, this is my first time. Um, you know, with the hockey season, not, you know, training camp not really starting until the middle of September. 
the timing kind of works out uh, perfectly in that I can, you know, take this time in August when not much is happening in the NHL season and, and go down there. So I, I think it's going to be great, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be a unique unique experience. Enjoy that. Uh, let's uh, move on to the topic at hand now with the Blackhawks. And I guess I'll start off, you know, with, with all the uh, losses over the last season, I wanted to start off by asking you, which of the young players do you think has the best chance to make an impact this season? I, I, I threw out a few names at you, like Michael Kempney, Tyler Mott, Nick Schmaltz. Maybe you have someone else in mind, but really want to get your thoughts on that because it really looks like the Blackhawks are going to need to have some younger players make an impact on the lineup, particularly at forward this season. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, if you try to plot out a, a top four line combination for the, for the Blackhawks, it's almost impossible to do because there's just too many question marks, especially along those, those bottom lines of, of who the hell is going to fit in to those roles. And, and they're, the Blackhawks basically seem content. Every time Stan Bowman has talked about it this summer, he seems fairly confident and content that these young guys that they've had in the system for a few years and a guy like Nick Schmaltz, who they just signed, you know, a draft pick they just recently signed, they're confident that these guys are ready to take that step, and they had better be ready to take that step, or else it's going to be a long season for the Blackhawks. I think if they don't have this, a couple of these guys who are able to stick around in the NHL, much like Trevor Van Rienzeich did on the blue line for them last year, it's going to be it's going to be a long haul. If you ask me to name names as to who I think is going to be around, I do think they're very high on Nick Schmaltz. I think that's the reason why you saw them agree to a contract with him this year. Um, uh, another guy that they're high on who had a rough year last year injury-wise is Kyle Bond. I think the organization, I think Joel Quenville really likes him. He's kind of a big-body presence um, who can who can do things around the net, and they're going to need that with Andrew Shaw being in Montreal this year. And also Ryan Hartman, who every time his name comes up, and people say, well, what's his game like? The immediate comparison is Andrew Shaw. So if they're looking for that kind of player, I think they have a couple of candidates to fill that role. Outside of that, it's going to be a very interesting training camp for them this year, one that I think is going to be more interesting than years past just because so much has to get sorted out. Well, Chris, if they have that much uh, dependence on, on younger players, I mean, I guess on the one hand they, they have a good track record with that, but on the other hand, you look at a guy like Artemi Panarin who wins you the Rookie of the Year last year. Is is it just kind of a given that they're expecting a very similar season in his sophomore year? I mean, 77 points isn't easy to replicate, but if they're already depending on prospects, I'm, I'm guessing they're expecting more of the same from him. I think they are, and I think they're expecting another MVP caliber season from Patrick Kane. Um, you know, that line at times last year was the only one producing for the Hawks, especially early in the season. It was you know, it was that line or, or nothing, or the Blackhawks weren't scoring that particular night. Um, it's dangerous to, to assume that these guys are going to produce at those levels. They are certainly capable of doing it, you know, and, but you don't know if they're going to stay healthy. You know, you don't know if they're going to go through a prolonged slump or what have you. Um, it's dangerous to think of, but again, they're, they're in a position with the salary cap and with the big contracts that they have that this is the bed that they've made for themselves. Now, the Penguins just showed that, you know, a, a team that has a lot of big contracts on the books and pays out a, a, a bunch of uh, superstars and fills the rest of the roster in with, with younger players or role players, that yeah, you can win a Stanley Cup that way. 
but you need things to go right, and you know, we'll see what happens uh, come training camp here and how that gets sorted out. Chris, this topic has come up probably since the 2010 season when they had all the the losses after the the first cup in this run. But you know, we hear a lot publicly. How much internal concern is there over the Blackhawks' lack of depth up front, given the losses that they just keep accruing over the last several seasons? I think there's less concern now that they have shored up the blue line. And I think that was the big concern coming into this offseason. For, you know, during the, during the trade deadline last year and even early on uh, last season, they were kind of looking to make a deal for a number four defenseman and a deal that never really came through. So that's why they decided to make a, a deal for Andrew Ladd and try to shore up the, the forward slots and hope and pray that the blue line was enough during the playoffs. We saw that it wasn't. So heading into the offseason, the number one priority was to, to add depth to the blue line, and I think they've done that uh, about as well as anybody uh, could have hoped for, for for their sake. You know, bringing in Brian Campbell, bringing in uh, uh, Michael Kempney uh, from the KHL, who by all accounts is an NHL-ready player, and this way you can slot Trevor Van Riemsdyk down to a bottom-pairing defenseman. I think there's less concern that you could fill in those those bottom six forward spots than there was about trying to find a legitimate number four defenseman. They found that this offseason. So I think from that standpoint, they feel a little better about themselves than into next season. You know, with Brian Campbell coming back on the on that discounted deal and, and obviously showing how much he just wants to specifically play for the Blackhawks again, I, I know it's still early, but do you have a feeling on how those defensive pairings might shake out now? Um, we, we were... As Blackhawks convention, I forget who, who was talking. I, oh, it was uh, assistant coach Mike Kitchen, the guy who guy who handles the, the, the defensive minutes and the roles and things like that. He was talking at a panel, and you know we don't get to talk to the Blackhawks assistant coaches uh, you know, on the record because the, the organization doesn't really allow that. Um, but this is one of the few times we got to hear the assistant speak, and Mike Kitchen threw out, you know, we were, he said that the coaches were talking about it the other day, and he said, you know, we're looking at Keith Jalmerson, uh, Campbell Seabrook, and you know, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, and then, you know, uh, question mark like Trevor Van Riemsdyk and maybe Kempney in there. Um, you know, I think I think Kempney might be the the guy who gets the first look. They have Michael Roosevelt back as well. Don't forget about him. They have a couple of young guys who saw time last year in Victor Sedberg and Eric Gustafson. Um, but I think if if you know if the season started today, that's what the coaches are looking at: Keith Jalmerson, Campbell Seabrook, and Van Riemsdyk, Kempney. Switching gears here a little bit, Chris, I'm curious your take on this. How much concern do you think there should be over Jonathan Taves' drop in production last season versus maybe how much of it was related to his role, his line mates, et cetera? I know there was some consternation over that. I'd like to hear your thoughts. There was some consternation over that. Um, and if you look at even if you look at some of the goals that he did score, he scored an awful lot of goals in three-on-three overtime. I think he had four or five goals. Uh, Four or five of his goals last year came from uh, overtime goals, and so a, a healthy percentage of his goals came during you know non-regular, not you know non-five-on-five situations. There's concern, um, but I don't think it's it's as much about Jonathan Taves as it might be about recognizing that he had really nobody uh, you know no left winger the entire season. Andrew Shaw was there, you know, and he helped provide a band-aid until Andrew Ladd came in. Um, but I also think it, it's related to Marion Hosa's struggles in scoring. Um, you know, and 
Hosa is, is getting up there in age. He's still a productive, valuable NHL player at this stage of his career. Um, but the scoring numbers were down, and there's no there's no denying that. And you know, the guy came in only needing a couple of goals to to get to 500. He never got there last season. Um, so I do think it's tied into the Hosu's problem scoring last season. And but you look at the roster now, and you think where well where is this help coming from for him now? And it, you don't really see it on the roster right now. Maybe he flashes some chemistry with one of the younger players. Maybe the chemistry that he found with Richard Panik in the in the late in the season and in the playoffs. Maybe that carries over into the season, and and maybe Richard Panik of, of all people is the Blackhawks' top line left winger going forward. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, you say that there's not much concern because the guy is still in the prime of his career, but if the problem was he wasn't playing with with decent enough line mates, you didn't correct that problem in the offseason, and you still have it going into next year. I want to get back to Hosa in a minute, but are, are the Blackhawks in a situation now where they can't even bring in another Band-Aid, uh, you know, that, uh, maybe not on the left side, but I know a guy like Redeem Verbata is out there, for instance, and I think there was some level of discussion with him. Are they at a point where they just simply can't make those moves anymore because of their cap situation? I- Sam Bowman, after the after the Shaw trade went down, the Blackhawks, uh, you know, haven't really made any moves um, or serious moves since then. Um, you know, they signed Campbell, um, but that was about it. That was the only major move that they made. They brought in Jordan Tutu on a, on a contract for less than a million dollars. Um, but Sam Bowman said at that time that they had they had room to make moves if they wanted to. So I'm I'm kind of surprised they haven't brought in another veteran to try and, and fill that hole on a, on a top line left wing just to see how it would go. You know we still have a, a ways to go before training camp opens yet. We, we'll see what happens over these next, over these next few weeks here. Um, but I think they do have some some room to make moves. But Bowman said a couple of weeks ago that he feels confident and this is the team that they have going into training camp. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they added somebody. I also wouldn't be surprised if if they let this ride, because that's how much uh, bravado and confidence Sam Bowman has in some of these younger players that they're going to be able to fill these roles. It sounds kind of surprising, to be honest with you, but they may not make a move the rest of the way here. All right, you mentioned Marion Hossa earlier. Um, I wanted to touch on that a little bit more. What do you see as his role moving forward, given his age? Is he still considered a top-line player who can play alongside a guy like Jonathan Taves? Or are they thinking of sliding him down in the lineup, maybe into more of a shutdown role? I think you saw uh, towards the end of the playoffs here against the Blues, they had him on a, on a third line with Marcus Kruger and Andrew Ladd. And, and back at the convention, uh, Joel Fundil said, you know, uh, he liked what he saw uh, with Kruger and Hosa paired together, and he might give that a look at the beginning of the season. And that sounds all well and good because Mary Hosa can still be that kind of player. He could be a, a, a good defensive forward for you. Um, but again, you take if you take Hosa from the top line, who is that leaving you know to play with Jonathan Taves right now? And the answer is Richard Ponick and some unknown young prospect to be determined. So you know that's the that's the issue Quinville's gonna have to grapple with. Do I want to? put Hosa in a, in a defensive role where he might be more suited at this stage in his career, or do I want to put a veteran and somebody who's played with Jonathan Taves and hope that maybe 
last year was kind of an aberration, and Hosta can get back to you know, having a better year scoring wise and a better year health wise. I don't know. That's that's something that'll be sorted out. Uh, I think early in the season. Chris, my last one for you. You, know, you kind of alluded to it already. But, I mean, obviously, the the absence of Andrew Shaw shakes up this team's lines. I guess it's a two part question. How much are the Blackhawks, in your mind, going to miss him? And then, and secondly, I mean, you've seen him up close. If, you know, from from an outside perspective, it seems like he has more value to a team like Chicago that has that those talented pieces around him than maybe he'll have in Montreal. Do you expect him to be as productive with a team like the Canadians as he was with the Blackhawks? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, and uh, I do think Andrew Shaw is the type of player that, like you said, he needs pieces around him, and he's a good complement to to pieces that you already have on your roster. To have him be a, a main guy, potentially, and a guy that's going to attract attention on the ice, or attract the bulk of, of another team's attention when he's on the ice, I don't think he's going to thrive as much in that role. He is the guy that's, that's suited to play alongside, you know, top-tier talent. And he does things that, you know, like getting to the net and getting in people's faces and creating traffic and things like that that other players don't do. Um, so I do think he's more, he, he thrives, and he's very good at it, that he thrives in that complementary role. I do, it'll be interesting to see who he plays with in Montreal. Um, we'll see how, that, how, that opens, how they open the season in that regard. Um, but I do think, I do think the contract that he earned and the, the term that he earned is, is way over what the Blackhawks were, were willing to, to pay to keep him. And it might be, you know, overpaying for a guy of his stature. Chris, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball on these last two questions we have for you. First off, and I, I know there's been a lot of discussion sure. about this since the Vegas announcement. I believe the Blackhawks have eight players with no move clauses. What the heck are they going to do at the expansion draft in terms of protecting players? You know, quite honestly, I actually think that their that their situation isn't as bad as, as people make it out to be. Uh, I look at the players that they have under those no movement clauses. So let's let's take the forwards. You got Tate, Kane, Hosa, and Anisimov are the four are the forwards with no movement clauses. Um, you've got defensemen Seabrook, Jalmerson, and Keith. And you've got Corey Crawford. So that, yeah, that, you're right. That's eight players with no movement clauses. But if you look at the rules of the expansion draft, um, they're not going to have to protect our Tebby Panarin because he's going to be a second year player and he won't be eligible, uh, for the expansion draft. So automatically they get to protect him. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can protect four forwards and four defensemen if you want. Um, and, and honestly, looking at their roster of forwards, they don't have many guys that they're going to have to protect. The only guy, if they, if they choose to, if they choose to go four, four, and one in the protection, um, let's say they protect Trevor Van Riemsdyk as their fourth defenseman. The only forward that that leaves available is Marcus Kruger right now. Um, and they were looking to shop Kruger. You know, before the before the draft happens, so I don't know that they're necessarily in a terrible situation when it comes to the expansion draft. We'll see how the season plays out and if they sign people to the extensions and, and who those players are. But just right now, I think it's I think it's pretty easy their decision when it comes to the expansion draft. Okay, last question for you then, Chris, and I, I won't make you give actual predictions, but. Tell me what you see from this team. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, if you want to, obviously, you can throw them out there. But sure, what, sure, what, what do you think we see from this team? I think this team is um, going to have to prove that it, 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 it still remains among the NHL's elite team. Uh, we saw even last year they had that, that winning streak in July and, and December and early February that, that made everybody think, oh, the Blackhawks are, are good again. And they fizzled out towards the end of the year, but they were still capable of playing um, elite-level hockey at times. Um, this year, I, I, I have more questions about that. I still think they're a playoff team. I think any team that has Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, and a very good goaltender in Corey Crawford, you know, all playing in the primes of their careers is a playoff caliber NHL team. Um, and I do think that adding Brian Campbell and, and adding Michael Kempney along the, the blue line is is a big boost to them this season. Um, I just wonder where the scoring is going to come from, that's all. Uh, sometimes that tends to sort itself out. But I have I have questions about that. I think they're I think they're a playoff team as it stands right now. Um, but to be a, a cup contender, I think there's still some questions about that. All right, Chris. Well, great insights again. Really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, enjoy Rio. That's a unique experience, and stay safe down there. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right again. That's at uh, Christopher Hine on Twitter. H I N E. If you want to follow him. For, uh, for insights to the Blackhawks all season long. We thank him for joining us. Craig, i got to say, obviously you are the, uh, the, the resident Blackhawks expert. I remember driving back from the uh, NHL Awards show with you when the Andrew Shaw uh, rumors really broke that they may be trading him now. At the time, there was rumors that they were trading for Evgeny Malkin, which we both just sort of disregarded. But <laughs> you weren't real psyched when the Andrew Shaw rumors broke. They end up ultimately uh, losing him this this offseason and in talking to Chris one of the things that stood out to me and looking closer at Chicago is a lot of the stuff you were saying not like I didn't believe you at the time but a lot of stuff you were saying about this team being kind of thin after their potential Hall of Famers up front it, that's legit yeah and, and people look at just the bottom six and say what are they doing there but as we talked about with Chris what about their top line you know we, we talked about Jonathan Taves drop in production and and I do think a lot of it was due to the guys he was playing with. As Chris said, he basically played without a left wing. They, they tried playing Shaw there, but he just wasn't a fit at that position. And, and Marion Hossa is not the offensive player he used to be. You expect that. He's, I think, 37 years old now. So when you look at Taves' drop in production and look at the fact that his cap hit is $10.5 million, yeah. as Chris said, do you have a way of getting him back to the level you expect? Do you have the players to put around him at this point? What do you do? Do you... Do you even consider something like breaking up that line that was so successful last year? With, I wouldn't. Yeah, it, it's it's scary. To, yeah, it's scary to ponder that because where would they have been without that line last year? We're talking about Anisimov, Kane, and and Panarin. But who's playing alongside Jonathan Taves, especially if you are thinking of moving Marian Hossa down into a shutdown role alongside Marcus Kruger? You're talking about a couple of young guys. You're talking about Richard Panic. Sorry, <laughs> Panic. Can I just pronounce it that way? Panic at the disco. That's, that's how I'll feel. What that's, Blackhawk that's fans will do on yes. that top line. Yes. Panic at the disco. It's it's a a problem. And and again, as Chris said, maybe they maybe they still have another move up their sleeves. You never know with Stan Bowman. Maybe they do go out and sign a a, a veteran forward on one side or the other. Redeem Verbata, as we've talked about, is still out there. But right now, 
you really are trying to figure out where the production is coming from on this team other than that one line. Yeah, a couple of the things that, that Chris said that stand out. First of all, you're talking about Taves. 28 goals, 30 assists last year, 58 points. That's, that's fine production. That's fine. Not for $10.5 million per season for the next decade, it feels like. Now, obviously, Jonathan Taves helps your team in other ways, too. He's one of the top two or three best leaders in the uh, the game today. One and of so, the top two or three best defensive forwards, too. Yes. He's always in the Selkie conversation. But as you said earlier, you get paid for production, right? Well, yeah, especially when you know you, you've you've got you've got Kane and you've got Panarin, and that kind of leads into the other thing that that uh, Chris said that stood out to me. And, and you kind of got this feeling just even doing the, the prep for the show. They're basically counting on Panarin to go out there and put up 76 points again. And Chris echoed that. And he might very well be able to do it. Again, it's not like he's a 20-year-old. He's, he's played in the KHL for a while. He, he's going to be playing with Patrick Kane this year unless they shake things up. But that is a lot to ask of him to just say, we're penciling you in for another 75 points. We have to have that from you. So have at it. Yeah, you're, you you played one season in the NHL, and we're expecting you to be a consistent elite scorer in yeah. this league. Now, again, he, he is playing. If he is playing with Patrick Kane, it makes it a whole lot easier because a lot of guys look good alongside Patrick Kane. He can bring your game up. So maybe that's not that far-fetched. But again, what are they doing other than that one line? I, I, I don't see it. I'm, maybe you get contributions from some of these young guys. As Chris said, Stan Bowman's very confident in some of these young guys, but what GM doesn't say that heading into a season about his young players? Find me one that says, oh, we're, we're in dire straits, man. Maybe Vancouver. I don't know. At some point, they may. No, they, they, they think they're good to they, go. That's, that's, that's a good point. The thing with Chicago, uh, whether it's Tyler Mott or even Ryan Hartman or Nick Schmaltz, their track record is, yeah, we got to fill in some young players. They'll just step right in and put up 40, 50, 60 points. Now, again, that's a lot to count on, and that was one of the other things that that Chris said that stood out to me is it's not just that Taves had 28 goals last year when he said four or five of them came in, in the three-on-three overtime situation, which is great. Those are game-winning goals, but those are kind of inflating the stats too And when you're playing three-on-three out there with the skill that Chicago has. So you're, you're depending on more production, raw production from Taves. You're basically counting on uh, Panarin and Kane to do what they did last year, and they combined for like 180 points between the two of them. And then even then, you're hoping some uh, some of these young players – are able to step in and be productive. Now, the flip side to this is when Chicago gets to the playoffs, I have no worries about them at all. That's that's the other hand. And they're going to make the playoffs. They did go out in the first yeah, round last sure? year. So, I mean, you don't have any worries? I mean, we just watched them lose in the first round. If you're going to talk about them in a vacuum, the stuff that we're saying is, is very real and logical. Yeah. But when you start when we start pre- previewing the other 29 teams, we're gonna, I'm going to have more worries about the other teams. How's that? Are they a better team on paper right now than they were last year? I think they're about the same. But remember, they were two missed posts on one Brent Seabrook shot away from yeah. potentially knocking off St. Louis, probably rolling through Dallas, and then who knows. And St. Louis is far worse yes. paper than they were last season. Yeah, so you look at the Central Division, too, and consider that, although Nashville has made some interesting moves. We, we can get to all of that later, but the flip side of this argument for me is what the Blackhawks did on their blue line. Bringing in Brian Campbell was a, a great signing. Uh, they needed a number 4 defenseman. You know, Joel Quenville kept denying that. He said they needed more help up front, but I think we saw it in the playoffs. Getting the puck up to your forwards is critical in this game. John Chaika said it the other day, defending is not about defending. It's about getting the puck to your forwards. Yeah. Now, that's obviously not entirely true because you need to play, be able to play defense when the puck is in your zone. But to have a fourth guy who can launch your offense is going to help them. They have two solid pairings now. They know who their top four defensemen are. And that's going to help a lot. 
Michael Kempney could make a big impact here too. He's a guy to watch, actually. They're really high on him. So I think their blue line's going to be a lot better, and that could help their offense. But again, you're still relying on a lot of young guys up front, and that's that's an uncomfortable situation to go into a season with. Yeah, when you have the Stanley Cup as your legitimate aspiration, it's not just, hey, we're going to make the playoffs, or hey, we want to make the second round and show some improvement. I understand that. It is absolutely, it's it's... It's a little unsettling to be relying on so many young players. Now, the flip side is with that core of Taves and Kane and Seabrook and Keith, you got to figure that the Blackhawks are, those young players are probably going to get better as the year goes on collectively. Now, you know, there's the rookie wall. That's a real thing. But the Blackhawks have the luxury of knowing they're probably going to make the playoffs. So they're kind of like the Spurs in the NBA were a couple years ago where they just need, it's, it's a process and it's a marathon. And you expect whether, it, again, whether it's Mott, or Hartman, or whoever, Nick Schmaltz, you expect them to be playing better hockey when the playoffs roll around. So there are legitimate questions about the Blackhawks, um, but I just think when we start talking to other teams, we're going we're gonna to see more questions. I'm just watching my boss slide Craig Morgan's paycheck under the door in the podcast room while we're on board. Wow. So, Well, where's my paycheck? I, uh, I'm, I'm he out. got lost in the mail. <laughs> I'm not talking anymore for the rest of the show. Um, the other thing, Keith real Kinney, quick. by the way, shout out to Keith yes, Kinney for paying me. Thank you for the check. Appreciate <laughs> we have to pay Craig every half hour for him to continue to talk yeah. on the podcast. I mean, he, it's very he, uncomfortable. It's a drain on our cap hit, our company cap hit, yes. but you know, we, have, we do what we have to do. He's like Taves and Kane combined, and he's locked up long term. Got so. much more of a diva factor, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> without saying uh the last thing on chicago at least for me craig brought up the question of you know who does this team protect heading into the expansion draft next year which is a real thing that nhl teams are going to approach differently this year some teams are like screw it we'll go for it this year we'll worry about it next year other teams are positioning themselves already for that expansion draft and as chris pointed out chicago's basically got their guys locked up for next year uh, in terms of that draft they basically are, are going to have to decide between marcus Kruger or Trevor Van Riemsdyk in terms of who they protect, because everybody else is either already on a no-movement clause and locked up long-term, or they're going to be an unrestricted or restricted free agent next summer anyway. So whether this was intentional or not, Chicago's actually got a pretty simple uh, scenario laid out in front of them in terms of that expansion draft. Yeah, you, when you, you, they have eight players with no moves, and, and they're the marquee names, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Marion Hossa, Artem Anisimov are, are the guys up front. Duncan Key, Nicholas Chalmerson, and Brent Seabrook on defense, and then Corey Crawford in goals. So and won't have to pre- protect yeah, Panarin. That's yeah, the other you won't thing. have to protect Artemi Panarin. So, yeah, it, they were, as you mentioned earlier, they were shopping Marcus Kruger this summer as well. So maybe they have a plan in place already for when he moves on. And, you know, he's making three million over $3 million a year. So maybe that's something that they want to do so that they have a little more maneuverability under the cap. Anything else from uh, Jamie before we move on? So what year? What's the over-under for years until Marion Hossa becomes a coyote for that to dump that, that cap hit? <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't they already sign Marcel Hossa like 10 years ago? They, yeah, they did. Okay. Didn't they, they draft him? I know they drafted Jared Stahl. I think Montreal drafted Marcel Hossa. Don't make me talk about Marcel Hossa publicly. Talk about Jared Stahl? I am curious what they do with Hossa down the line, though, because he signed for five more seasons. Yeah, right? he signed for forever. Yeah, uh, so. He signed for one, two, three, four, five more seasons, but... Yeah. After this season, it's four seasons of one million salary. Right, his salary goes down, but his cap hit stays the same. Yeah. So that for a team like the Blackhawks, that's always a cap team. Oh, absolutely. But for another team, maybe looking to trade for him, I mean that that's a now that's you, a cheap price. You hope the Coyotes are not in that situation down the line. That's, no, you, but you get why they're doing it be. now. But you hope they don't do that. It, that won't sit well if they're doing that in two or three more seasons. If uh, at least Marion Hosa would play for them. 
Yeah. At age 40. I don't think they're going to be in that position in two or three seasons. But if, if Chicago, if he wasn't on a no-movement uh, clause in his contract right. right now, is he somebody that you think they would protect next year heading into that expansion draft, given it's where a, he is in his it's career? a really good question. I, I can't imagine they would because that gives you so much flexibility if you lose yeah. that five-plus cap hit. I can't imagine they would because he's going to be 38 years old. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's very common for players this age to get those no-move clauses, so it's, it's, it's almost standard operating procedure. But if they didn't have to do it, I, I can't believe that they would protect Marianos at this point. I'm interested to see because there's going to be a lot of teams that purposely don't protect guys like that, kind of hoping like, hey, Vegas, why don't you take this guy? He can help you produce that first year or two, and you can really help us out. I'm interested to see how many of those players the Vegas team actually takes. And obviously Hosa's not eligible, but there are going to be other players uh, like that down the line. All right, can we transition to uh, Montreal? You're hosting the show. You can do whatever you want. Oh, okay. Well, then we're just going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins for the next three hours. Uh, Montreal, are we just following the Andrew Shaw path through these uh, these previews? That's the thread here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I haven't figured out how it ties into New Jersey yet. but oh, Don't, don't you worry about New Jersey. They've, they've, they've got their own uh, issues. So Andrew Shaw goes to Montreal. Uh, I asked this question to Chris, and it's kind of my question here to, to lead off this Montreal discussion. Are they depending on too much from Andrew Shaw? And I think that realistically they are. I think he's he's a he's a great asset in the playoffs. I've said this before. I think he's a good guy to have around the net and, and bring some grit. And when he's around the net, he can scoop up Jonathan Taves' rebounds and put him in. But Montreal doesn't have a Jonathan Taves. No, I, I agree with you completely. I think he's a complementary piece for a skilled team. He can push a team over the top, get a team a cup, because he can do all those those things that show up in the playoffs. But on this team, boy, I don't know. And, and when you look at what they signed him for, it raises even more questions because they, I think they overpaid for Andrew Shaw. Yeah, I think they're looking at Shaw and Radulov way higher than I look at them. And I think they're, they're expecting production that I just don't think is there. Did they? Radulov is somebody we have to talk about. He signed for one year. Jamie has said numerous times before Montreal ever even signed him that he's a third line NHL player. I mean, that was yeah, that was basically That's exactly what I said. Okay, I just want to make sure I money. Just right. Yeah, they're paying him five point seven five million for one year. Um, term wise, not a huge risk, but money wise, that's significant money. And it kind of feeds into the overarching theme here that they need somebody other than Max Pacioretty to score goals for them. And so it kind of looks like a move of desperation. Maybe it pays off. Um, I guess I'd probably lean more towards maybe he's a twenty goal guy at best. The bottom line is Montreal still has a. Has, has scoring issues here. And, you know, from, from I guess, the uh, the angle of looking at what they had last year, they had Pacioretty with 30 goals, they had Alex Galchenyuk with 30 goals, mm-hmm. and then they really had nobody else scoring goals. And Galchenyuk, if you look at his career uh, up to this point, he's gotten better each year. He was a top three pick a few years ago. Uh, his, his, his goals by year, 9, 13, 20, 30. His points, 27, 31, 46, he's 56. Too, so, uh, yeah, he's getting you, better. Yeah, you could see upside with him, and maybe these will help, but... I don't know. Are these are these the type of players that are going to bring his game up another level, or is he just going to make them look a little better than they they actually are? I don't I don't I don't see much on this team still to give me reason to believe that they're a playoff team. I, I know Carey Price is back, and we can talk about that in a minute. But aside from that, this roster doesn't impress me. No, I mean I I expect Bacharetti and Galchenyuk to play very well, like they have, but that's proven to not be enough. And even when They've been in the playoffs with Carey Price. Their offense has been bad. I mean, not just how mediocre. It's been bad. Now they've got Shea Weber to spark it, though. Yes. Well, And what's crazy, too, the offense has been bad, not just last year, the last few years. Patrick Reddy, 
you guys are each going to have to guess here. I know exactly how much he's averaged in terms of goals each of the last three years. You guys want to throw out a number? Because he's been productive, and the rest of the team just hasn't been. Hang on a minute. Let me click on a link. Okay. Good luck. You're not going to find this on the internet, Craig. I did this math myself. Why don't myself. you just tell us? Fine, obviously. Since you so guys we don't are... have that awkward pause. Well, I just figured you'd throw out a number. He's averaging over 35 goals per season the last three years. So these years when Montreal really hasn't scored a lot of goals, Pacioretty's still giving them 35 goals a year. And so you, you you have a nickname for him, don't you? No, that's Jamie's nickname. Oh, yeah, it's your nickname, nickname. My Patches. Yeah, Patches, which Patches. I immediately thought was a clown, and that of course freaked that, Craig yeah. out. Because it almost caused Craig not to come on the podcast today. <laughs> He's clowns. Worried there might be a clown. Yeah. In the but Jamie explained to me that's actually which 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 was it? You that said large cat? No, no I was, was the one that said the large cat. I think, I just a large yeah. cat. Jamie eased my concerns by telling me it's just a large cat with skates on. It's alarming yeah. how often we're really getting. If, if far I could off Photoshop, here. yeah, if I could Photoshop, but well, just, which I cannot. Okay, I would have me that. up the topic of clowns. I'm just concerned that you keep cons- confusing me and Jamie. We're the same person. You should you should be proud. <laughs> one of us is going to say it, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, st- I still don't. I still the one thing I can't fathom is how somebody like Pacioretty, who's averaged what he had 39, 37, 30 the last yeah. three years, yeah, is somehow still underrated in that link. market. He did. I did click on the link. It's still underrated. Yeah, I mean, he is. If I, if I told you there's a, an elite, a close to an elite goal scorer in Montreal, and just because he's got nobody, nobody around him really helping his numbers. Like Brendan Gallagher is a nice piece when he's on the ice, and he's a tough, tough little player. I mean, he was he was cruising along last year before he got hurt. Uh, Galchenyuk, I really do think is a key for this team because sort of similar to Chicago, just assuming Panarin's going to get them seventy plus points again. Montreal, I think, is counting on Galchenyuk to get them around 30 goals again, except Montreal doesn't have any other pieces. <laughs> so they, they really just got rid of P.K. Subban. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be my other question for this team. How much of a story is that? It's a huge story right now. How long does that story follow Montreal around the season? Because I do think... All season. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go then. Even though Mark Bergevin said that that, that trade's not going to define my... Uh, my tenure as the GM. And by Montreal. saying so, he made certain it was going yes. to define his tenure. <laughs> the first Thanks line. for putting that out there. How many people have that on a bulletin board it's, right It's the now? second paragraph of the story about him being fired in a year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. You think it's the second paragraph? Second paragraph. The first? Well, the first one should be who, what, when, where, why. Okay. You know, if you're following the, the proper principles of a news story. And All then right. immediately the line is going to be about the P.K. Subban trade. See, I would think the first sentence would be, hey, remember when they traded P.K. Subban away for – a reason they still haven't given us? Maybe that should be my question. Are we ever going to get the full story on what happened there? Good question. Maybe maybe know. somebody in Nashville will uncover it. Maybe he'll open up. Maybe the Boston media will leak out reports about terrible things he did yeah. on his way out. <laughs> Even though he's not a former Bruin, they're just going to throw him out there. Uh, I, I think that Montreal... Yeah, they do hate Canadians... Probably just as much as they hate their former players. So that's yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty like close. Yeah, it's pretty close. And they do have his brother in their system at goal. So hey, you know, there's at least yeah. a tie there. Um, it's just kind of a shame. I wanted to see that Montreal Boston matchup with PK shooting the puck at Malcolm, and now we're not never going to get that. Uh, Montreal, I don't fully understand what they're doing, but I do think they could still sneak into the playoffs this year simply because Carey Price is back. Are and, they relying? I mean, you said are they relying too much on Pacioretty? Are they relying too much on Carey Price? Yes, they are. Well, I mean, the last two seasons were such a stark contrast. But it, it, it's it, it's probably unfair to say it was all because of him. As P.K. Subban said himself at the NHL Awards show, there were, there were a lot of us that didn't play up to our potential. And he also called out the organization saying they didn't do enough and to make us a playoff team. And then it was traded four days yes, later. And it was traded. Interesting. But, yeah, but 
so it, it's probably not fair to say that he is the one piece that can swing it one way or the other, but he, he's obviously their most valuable player. And to me, when I, when I look at the moves that they've made, when you, when you lose P.K. Subban but you bring Kerry Preston, I, I don't see this as a playoff team. I don't know how you feel, Jamie, but... May, I, again, they're fringe. I, mean, I, don't, they're I, don't like, I don't like the bottom of the East. So I think they can very well sneak in there if Carey Price is healthy and if Carey Price is as good as he's been for the entirety of the season. I mean, and it's shudder to think, you know, cl- you know, cover your ears, Montreal fans, but what if he just has a good yeah. but not great season? What if no he's chance, the sixth best goalie in the league this year or something? Which is, I mean, he is coming off a lengthy absence due to injury. Now, I, don't, I mean, is there a team, is there a player, I guess, is a better way to put it, in the NHL whose team relies on him more? I know this is only the second preview we've done, and we'll get deeper and we'll figure it out, but for the most part, I would think that that player probably has to be a goalie because that's the one position where you can really change your team's uh, fortunes. I mean, I'm not saying Carey Price is the best player in the league, but Washington can still have a chance to win games without Ovechkin. Pittsburgh can still have a chance to win games without Crosby. Montreal is horrible without Carey Price. As we saw last year, yes. yes. <laughs> the, the problem is they're, they're, a very, they're a very, very mediocre team with a yes. very, very elite goaltender. Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, if, if Radulov contributes a little bit, Pacioretty does what he has been doing, uh, Galchenyuk picks it up even more, and Price plays the way he has in that division, they could make the playoffs, and then the narrative coming out of Montreal is going to be, see, P.K. Subban was the issue. Is the nightlife in Montreal better than it is in Scottsdale? I'm pretty sure it is. I think there are more offerings. It's bigger. So. It, it, Montreal's bigger. It might be cheaper. It's uh, and well, it's, it's wilder, actually. I'll, I'll put it that way, too. Montreal's much wilder. So Really? Then Scottsdale. Just saying, Radulov. Hmm. Just, if you're looking for recommendations. Well, okay. He's only going to be... Late-night recommendations. Where's Andre Kostitsin? And you, you know, you may, if they don't make the playoffs, he doesn't have to worry about it this time around, right? It's also true, yeah. And he only has to visit Scottsdale once a year because he's in the, uh, the Eastern Conference. <laughs> so I want to ask you one more thing on Montreal. Okay. What can Shea Weber bring to this team that Subban did not? Uh, I don't think he brings anything that Subban did. He can hit the puck really, really hard. Like maybe another the like five or six miles an I mean, hour. has talked about that, about the ability to – and there, there are players who will tell you that you don't want to go into a corner with Shea Weber. So, okay. Yeah, he can he, bring more of a physical presence to their defense. He is more but physical. Again, you don't want to be doing that too often because that means you don't have the puck. Hard, yeah, harder hitter, was harder really, shot. I mean, Shea was a really good player. I mean, I, I know he's kind of gotten bashed because he's, he's being declining a bit. Yeah, because I mean, he's not as good as Subban in almost any facet of, of the game. But he's 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 fine. But again, he's not better than Subban. And and again, that's great. He's good in the corner. Well, I don't want to be I don't want to be the uh, defenseman when PK Subban has an outlet pass or yeah, to a breakout right. pass. You know, into the zone. So I, I don't know, I don't know how that helps that team be any better. It's not going to help that team score. Weber's in a weird spot because he we're two years away from him being an elite defenseman, and he's not so old that he can't get back to that point where True. He, he could absolutely have a, a season we look back at the end of the year and we're like, hey, you know what? Renaissance. Yeah, he was the top five defenseman this year. That's entirely possible. But at that position, and now the position he's going into in this trade, everybody across the continent outside of Montreal is looking and saying, okay, well, Montreal just fleeced themselves by giving up P.K. Subban. It puts Weber in a weird position where you almost have to put down Shea Weber, who's had a phenomenal career, and I don't think his career is over. But also, he's going into a market where the expectations are going to be extremely high, and he's not somebody... It's different when you're a forward that's capable of scoring 40 or 50 goals. Maybe not 50, but 40 goals. You can silence the critics. When you are a defenseman 
who is more of a defensive defenseman now, it's tough to silence critics because he can't point to numbers. Even if Shea Weber does everything Mark Bergeron said he's going to do, yep. it's going to be really difficult to sell to your fan base when P.K. Subban's putting up 75 points in Nashville yep. and say, oh, well, look at this highlight film of Shea Weber in the corner. Yep. Digging pucks out. He, not, he, it's not going to work. He can't sing Johnny Cash either like PK can. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and you're talking about an educated fan base too and a, a fan base that has as high of expectations as any fan base in the league. So I agree with you, Jamie. I think they're in trouble here. And, yes, this trade will absolutely define Mark Bergevin. Got anything else here on Montreal before we move on? I got nothing. Jamie? No, I think we're good. I know you really, really, really want to talk about the Devils. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about New Jersey. What was it about probably a month ago? We ask this very question on this this podcast of, are the Devils ever going to be exciting again? And that, this was obviously before Edmonton handed them Taylor Hall. They're going to be a lot more exciting this year. I still don't think they're going to be exciting. But I did write about them for today's Slapshot last week. And my angle on the story was, if you just look at New Jersey over the last few years, they, they've just been a team that's just kind of there. Like in the middle of the Eastern Conference, not really picking high, but uh, but not making the playoffs. Their average age of their forwards, you ready for this? Their top scorers, I should say. The top five scorers in 2013 was 32, and 2014 was 36, and then in 2015 was 35. So that's if you take Adam Henrique out of the equation, who's now 26. The oldest team in hockey, continuously relying on Yarmer Yager and Patrick Eliash and guys like that to, to produce their offense. Ray Shiro comes over May of 2015, and he's got this team actually young and potentially productive now. And I haven't even mentioned their best player, obviously, who is Corey Schneider. Yeah, you now, remember the you remember the game against the Coyotes? How many how, how many shot attempts did the Coyotes have? Ninety six. Yeah, it was it was close to a hundred, yeah. and and New Jersey won the game. Yeah, was it two one? Was that game? It was I insane. It was, and that's that's the way New Jersey played last year. Just yeah, sur- just form a circle around Corey Schneider, and and hope to heck we get a few breaks on the offensive end. And and it it works because Corey Schneider is one of the best goalies in the league last season. So I, I guess my, my initial question with this team, since all we've heard out of Edmonton is how Adam Larson is the greatest defenseman of all time <laughs> and he was worth giving up Taylor Hall for, is... Uh, Does Taylor Hall make the Devils great again? <laughs> yes. That is that what you're going to ask? Question. My question, though, actually... Dangerously, dangerously close to Donald Trump there. That, not just dangerously close. Make the Devils great was. again. Um, there's like six jokes in there somewhere, yeah. but I'll, I'll, say, I'll save those for the FanRag Sports political podcast. No, yes. because, yeah, that's right, because people will be telling us stick to sports uh, yeah. on Twitter yes. after yes. we bring this out. Even though we're, we're not allowed to have opinions on anything else. We're three hours into the podcast yes. before we make a political reference. Uh, the flip side, you get Taylor Hall, That's we all feel the same way. That's ridiculous that they were able to pull that off. New Jersey doesn't have any defensemen. They have five NHL yeah. defensemen under contract right now. The best one is probably Andy Green or Ben Lovejoy. They're going to be hurting on defense. That's, I know that's not a question, but talk yeah, amongst yourselves. Schneider's going to have to make 50 saves a game, apparently. Yeah. Now they'll score goals, at least, finally, I would think. So maybe that's a better way to phrase this question. Are they finally going to be out of the bottom five in goals four per game this year with, with Henrique and Taylor Hall? Kyle Palmieri had 30 goals last year. Uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly is not a huge offensive weapon, but he had 13 points in 18 games after he uh, came over at the trade deadline. They've got some younger players now who potentially can score. Maybe, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I know that was very non-committal. I just, I don't, I still don't, feel, I, this 
I'm not sure how good this Devils team is. I love Taylor Hall. Yeah. And it's not that Adam Larson was a world beat because he's not. No, he wasn't really living up to his draft. But they have status. no defensemen. Yeah. yeah. And I have a really hard time. Again, we, we talked you know about the Blackhawks. We talked about all these teams and Coyotes, how important it is to have depth on your blue line. They don't even have like a starting blue line they don't. to have depth for. And that's I mean, the who's wrong a, division to be in without a blue line. I mean, now, are now any there's of those guys still, top four? Probably not. But there's still time to – I agree with it. Even even with a, a trade, there's still time to make a trade yeah. in the league, and there's still some possibilities out there. So we should probably judge this team when they arrive at training camp. You know, maybe even to the season a little nope, bit. They I'm make judging now. Deal. Okay, go ahead. You can just judge. No, I just, I'm just – I'll silently judging. judge. Always judging. Yes, pretty much. You're always silently judging. It's 24, 24-7 job. But, you know, you, maybe you swing that trade. But, yeah, you're right. Right now, it's that's a problem area on this team. But I, I do I, – when you get that opportunity, when you get Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, oh, well, yeah. you make that trade every day. Ten out of ten times you make that trade. Look, you could, crazy. you could turn around and trade Taylor Hall for – an elite defenseman right now if you absolutely were inclined to do so. But I, I think you're right. There's other ways to get defensemen. Um, it's not like if they hadn't made that trade, we'd be sitting here saying, well, New Jersey, they're pretty set up defensively with Adam Larson and nobody else. So it's uh, the one the one real tough position for New Jersey is that you're in a division with Ovechkin and Tavares mm-hmm. and Crosby and Malkin and just there's, there's a lot of guys who can score goals that are going to expose that defense. And you know, to Jamie's point, you're putting a lot of pressure on Corey Schneider. Maybe not as much now as you were the last couple of years because at least you're going to be scoring goals. So if Schneider can hold the other team to two goals now, you may be winning some of those games. But you're not going to be scoring four goals a game. It's not like you, you're suddenly an offensive juggernaut. You're well, just not you still, Your D still has to get you the puck, right? So the, yeah. what's their transition game going to look like? So it's, it's definitely something worth watching. But again, they were. this was a... This was a team that wasn't far off last year, right? So maybe, I don't know. Like you said, Jamie, the bottom of the East is simply not that impressive. So when you look at it from that standpoint, they're probably one of those teams that's right on the bubble of of being a playoff team. The bottom of the East isn't great, but the Metro division, it, it is tough to see them jumping Washington, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, maybe Philadelphia, maybe Carolina is a, is a playoff team. We'll talk about them later. That's That's an intriguing team to me. And the Rangers do always make the playoffs. They just don't do anything in the playoffs anymore. So it's it's not an easy road for New Jersey, but at least they'll be more, slightly more entertaining to watch this mm-hmm. year with Taylor Hall. Jamie, you got anything before we wrap it up? I, I was expecting so much more on New Jersey. I, 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 just, I, I, I don't think that they're still that exciting. I really don't. I, I, liked it. I liked the Taylor Hall edition. I like Palmieri, but yeah. I don't think that team's still that good. I don't think they're a playoff team. Does he replicate those numbers, you think, Palmieri? No. Like, yeah, I mean, I, no, what's man. realistic to expect from him? If he's if he's in the north of twenty, if he's in that twenty-two to twenty-five-ish range, I think that's fair. I mean, the, the reality is, is again, even if he's on that top line, Taylor Hall is going to scoop up a lot of those goals himself. Yeah, I don't know who's going to start a breakout for that team. Yeah, thirty goals is a tough barrier to reach. It really is. And, and I mean, maybe, we, maybe he's, he's at the right age where he could be coming into his could, primes, but. but yeah, I'm just not sure there's enough area. talent around him. I'm yeah. just really not. Even if he plays on that top line. Again, who's going to start the breakout for that team? This is not a – you can you can live with an average defense. This is – I mean, this, is there a defensive unit a defense in the league yet. worse? There might be one or two, but not many. No, I don't know that we're going to see one that's worse the more I look at it. Ben Lovejoy was helpful for Pittsburgh winning a cup because he wasn't the guy. He might be New Jersey's top guy right now, and that's, that's scary. And yeah. uh, certainly New Jersey has the pipeline of – sort of Penguins cast-offs with Ray Shero there. 
And I'm not saying Ben Lovejoy can't help them, but he's got to be on your second pairing at least, not anchoring your top pairing. I got to believe they're aware of this, though. When you look at this roster, you, it's such a glaring weakness. So, so maybe they are. It's got to be a trade, right? Yeah, they, I would. I would think that they. I can't believe this is the group that they would go to training camp with. Uh, Pavel Zaka is pretty much their only prospect. Any chance we see him this year? Still pretty young. Yeah, I think there's a chance. I mean, okay. there could could even be their third line center. Maybe that should be New Jersey's slogan for 2016-17. Well, there's a chance. There's a chance. Or maybe either of Jamie's last two answers. Would be. <laughs> that harkens back to the Cubs media guide. We're working on it. Yeah, I just I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us alone. We're working I'm, on I'm it. Ju- I'm just not inspired by this team. I'm just not. I, I look at that team. They're just they're there. Yeah. They're different pieces. I, I, I Who inspires you in the East, Jamie? Tampa. <laughs> Who's going to be your Pittsburgh Florida and Washington inspire me? I like okay. those teams, but Tampa. that's obvious. Tampa Bay, I think, is might be the most complete team in hockey. Yeah. Who's going to be your Florida this year, where you're you're on Ooh. them from the very beginning? That one is going to be interesting. My Florida and then my Calgary. Yeah, I was, I was two. I got both of those things. Let's see. Well, you, might be Calgary again. Yeah, I think Calgary is probably everybody's team out. Uh, Carolina. Out yeah, I think we're all going to be on the Carolina. Ca- Carolina has been on the cusp. Of, I mean, they've said such horrible starts to the last couple of seasons, and then really picked it up. Fairly well in the second half, been just been too little, too late. I think that's a team that could compete for a playoff spot. This if they year. were in the Atlantic, I'd say it right now. Carolina makes the playoffs, but it's going to be tougher from the Metro. But that is going to be a fun team. Anything else here before we wrap up the uh, six-hour edition of episode forty-three? <laughs> just uh, sh- we, who we'll be talking to next week? We guess. Yeah, we mentioned this earlier, but from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, I know you'll be very interested in this particular. Just trying to get to next week. Seth Orobal, he'll join us next week. And we'll also talk about the Vancouver Canucks and the Colorado Avalanche. Oof, those are just going to be two exciting topics, aren't they? Oof. Now, you've got this spread talk out. To Seth for a very long time. <laughs> yes. You've got this spread out where we're not even doubling up divisions from week to week, right? As for the most part. Now, okay. there is that imbalance between the conferences that proved difficult when I got later into the schedule. Yeah. You know. Okay. We are going to talk to uh, Steve Carp from the Las Vegas Review-Journal as well. So we'll, we'll throw you a curveball down the line. We've got some... Some great beat writers coming on, so really looking forward to this. Yeah, good stuff, and certainly thanks to uh, to Craig. This is the one and only time I will show him appreciation uh, in his <laughs> presence because, as he noted earlier, he's the biggest diva in the world, but uh, not true. Uh, Craig, excellent job setting that up, and, and it was great to have Chris Ion on today. And uh, I feel like I know more about the Blackhawks now. So That's what you should. always wanted. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so for, uh, for Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.